Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the second week of our series on Matthew 13 called Pearls and Weeds. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. We're in the study of the Gospel of Matthew, and, and specifically now in Matthew 13. It's Matthew, the whole chapter is really just a series of parables. And we're going to see this morning that the parable we're looking at this morning really grows directly out of the parable we looked at last week. They're all related. And uh, in fact, what we're going to see this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 through four, or 30, 24 through 30, and it tells the parable. And then, and then Jesus has a couple other short parables we're going to look at next week. And then, at, and then at 36, the disciples come and ask him to explain the parable. And, uh, and so we're going to look at that as well. So it's, if, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to please open it up and to keep it open throughout our time so you could follow along with everything that we say. But let me begin by reading this passage we're going to look at, Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. He put, another par- he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to them, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest, I will tell the, tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and, uh, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then we go to verse 36 with his explanation. He left in the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weed and of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the son of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. And the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, And then the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of this time. I thank you that even as I've prayed through this passage, that you've helped me to understand it. And Father, I pray now that you would speak through me and in spite of me, that your spirit would speak, not my opinions or ideas, but your truth. And Father, I pray that your spirit would likewise be with each one that is here, giving us the ears to hear, the ability to understand and to apply I pray your blessing now in our time, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a lot of things that we go through life that you find that are imitations, that are counterfeit, that are not real. So, for example, you know, many of us have been in someone's house and you see this bowl of plastic or wax fruit, and, and usually you can tell it's not real. Sell them to you, you know, take a plastic grape, and you, you know, you know you, when you look, you can tell. Another common example is Christmas trees. Uh, actually, it's interesting. I was reading that as Christmas artificial trees have become better in quality and, and real trees become more expensive, it's now estimated 75 to 80% of us use artificial trees every year. And a lot of them, you've got to look closely to tell the difference. Some of them, you know, you look and, and there's a big difference. You know, you could tell that, uh, you know, that, that's not a real tree. You know, it's, it's obvious. Well, is it real or not? That's often the question. Well, let me give you a hard one, okay? 
is my hair real? Um, maybe that's my real hair and I just like the bald look, so I shave it. Or maybe it's not that hard to tell. No, that's not real. I, I wish I had that kind of hair. Well, let me, let's play a game to kind of, kind of illustrate that. How many of you are country music fans? Okay, for you guys, this should be really easy, all right? In country music, there's, uh, you know, Western country music, there's a lot of titles that are kind of interesting. And so what I've done is that I've got, uh, we're going to play a game. We're going to say, is it a country song or is it a fake? And so I'm going to give you 10 song titles. And, uh, and some are real songs, some I've made up. And so I want you to kind of tell me, do you think it's real or it's fake? Okay, first one. I'm so miserable without you, it's like having you here. I mean, how many of you think that's a real song? How many of you think it's fake? Oh, oh, that's a real, Billy Ray Cyrus, that's a real song. All right, how about the second one? Here's a quarter, call someone who cares. How many of you think that's a real song? How many fake? That's real, Tab, Travis Tritt, that's a little, okay. Third, uh, the gun rack of my heart is empty since I lost you. How many think that's real? And how many fake? Okay, okay that is a fake. That made, made that one up. Uh, I've been flushed from the bathroom of your heart. How many of you think, <laughs> how many think that's real? How many think that's fake? Okay, everybody thought that's fake. That's Johnny Cash. I mean, that's like, that's, that's, a, that's the you know, grandfather of, of country western. Um, your kiss is better than my golden retrievers. How many think that's a real song? How about a fake? That, that's a, that is a fake. Okay, I made that one up. And my wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. Okay, <laughs> real song? Okay, some of you know that one. That's a real song. That's Wayne Carter is the guy that done, did that one. Um, how come your dog don't bite nobody but me? How many think that's a real song? A fake? Okay, that's, that's real. That's uh, Mel Tillis. Uh, how about this one? Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. <laughs> now, I'm real. I'm, we've got to look at that one. And see, I couldn't make that one up. That one is, yeah, Bobby Bear. That's a real one. Uh, my tractor and my love are out of gas. Real? Fake? Uh, that's a fake, okay? Last one. How can I miss you if you won't go away? <laughs> that one's real. Danny, Dan Hicks and his hot licks is... Uh, now, it's fun to joke about that. You know, is it a real song? Is it fake? You know, it's real Christmas trees. And, but about, what about other things that are, that are not real, that are counterfeit, that, that are harder to tell, and, and more importantly, not only harder to tell, but more important to tell? Specifically, you know, the Bible teaches that there are some who will claim to be a follower of Jesus that will take that identity but aren't really true followers. And, and the question is, first of all, how do we tell the difference? And, and even in that, should we try to tell the difference? This morning, we're gonna look at this parable of Jesus, the wheat and the weeds, so the wheat and the tares is sometimes said, and we read it just a few moments ago, and it's kind of addressing some of that whole question. But as we look at that, we're get, we've gotta start by seeing that the, it all comes from a context. It actually grows directly out of what Jesus said right before this. In fact, if we were to go to Matthew 13, if you look at verses one and two, it tells us that, that there were great crowds that were coming to follow Jesus. And, and it tells us about these great crowds, so much so that they gathered around him and he had to get in this boat and actually push the boat out from shore so that he could create space for people to hear. And, uh, and so there's all these people and Jesus doesn't just celebrate it, he actually then tells a story that kind of challenges people to think through, okay, you're hearing me, but do you really believe? And he tells this parable that we looked at last week, the parable, the seed and the sower, and, and about this guy who prepared this field, 
And then he goes out, and, it, and the picture, everyone there would have recognized it. You know, this guy, after he's prepared his field, he's got this you know, basket of seed, and he's liberally scattering the seed on the soil. And he says, well, some of that will fall on a footpath. And, and that was generally this path that would go between the different parts of the field that was hard-packed earth. And, and because it was packed, the seed would just stay on top of the earth and, and wouldn't get into the ground at all. And over time, birds would come and take it away. And he said, well, there were some that fell on the rocky outcrops. And, and that was, you know, there were a lot of places where you would have uh, only two or three inches of soil and then there would be bedrock underneath. And so when it would fall there, the seed would go in right away and it would seemingly sprout. But then as soon as it got hot, because there were no depths to the roots, it would dry up and wither away. Some actually would fall into the areas where the weeds hadn't been cleared. And, and again, it would seem to grow at first, but because the soil could only pr uh, provide so much life in a sense, the weeds would grow and, and choke out the, the, um, the sprout that was growing. And finally, there, there was the seeds that fell on the good soil that produced an abundant crop. So he tells this parable, and then he comes back in verses 18 through 23, and he explains the meaning of the parable. And he said that his teaching was like the seed. It was something that was powerful that could transform the life of the hearer. And, and, but he's saying, oh, so I'm teaching this. There are many people that are coming, and some, it's falling on, on, the, on the hard path. These are people that have a hard heart. They like in their mind, it's intellectually, I like what I'm hearing, but my heart, it's never getting my heart. And he said, there's some people that's the case. And you might come for a little while and Satan's gonna take it away because you never bring it into your heart. You have others that would fall onto that um, a thin soil. These are people that would you know, kind of take it emotionally and, uh, and, they, and hear, hear it and they, they respond right away because they like what they hear. And, and what happens with a lot of these people, I, I like this, Jesus, and because I think you can make my life work better, but then when the sun comes up, when difficulty comes, and suddenly it's like, well, it's not working for me. Jesus, you didn't answer this prayer. You didn't fix this. And we wither away when things get hard. You have others that it falls on, on the, on the, uh, in the midst of the weeds. And, and these are people that are interested in Jesus, but we're more interested in pursuing other things. And so Jesus is always secondary, and over time, the other pursuits of life kind of choke out our faith. And then he said, but there are some that the hearts, the word falls on, on hearts that are prepared, that are soft and the tender. And it, it brings, we bring the word into the depth of our heart, and look what he says is the result. And for what was sown on a good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, and another 60, and another 30. This is the true believer. This is the one that, that truly has accepted Christ's word into his heart, and the result is always a changed life. Now, what he's saying is that there are people that are going to claim to follow him that may even like what he's saying, may be part of, not always following in our day, may be part of the church who aren't true believers. He's, he's teaching us this idea that there are counterfeits in the church. Now, even theologians will talk about this, and it's something taught throughout the Bible. They'll talk about there's this difference between what is called the visible and the invisible church. The visible church are those that we see, are people that make a public profession of faith. They identify as Christians, and maybe walk the aisle. They, there's a public identification. But then there's the invisible church, and these are the ones that Jesus said, I'm looking at it, and these are the people that have the true faith. And the Bible teaches that this group isn't always the same. There are some people that are publicly identifying as Christians that, that, you know, that say they're Christians, followers of Jesus, but they've never really surrendered their heart to him. They've never brought his word into the heart. There's not a changed life uh, as a result of true faith. 
And, and on the other hand, there are people that maybe, we may look at it because in our box, well, well, they aren't Christians, but if they have a true faith, they are. And God only knows the difference. Now here's what we need to realize. In the first parable, Jesus' point is calling us to test our own soil. He's saying, just because you're coming to hear me doesn't mean that you truly are a follower of me. Test your own soil. You know, are, are you the hard-hearted? Are you just emotional? Or are, you, are you letting other things choke this out? Look in your own life. And he says, okay, look, is your, is your life pr- producing fruit? Are you being changed because of your faith? And if our life isn't being changed, then possibly we don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. We may be just fooling ourselves. Now, the other thing is, though, is it's tempting to not look at ourselves, but to look at other people. And to start looking around at other people and saying, I'm going to be a fruit inspector. Well, they don't have fruit. They must not be a believer. And the question is, should we as Christians try to identify and root out the counterfeits? And that's what I think Jesus is addressing here in this second parable. It grows directly out of the first. And he's, I think, anticipating people are going to come to that. And he's saying, okay, no, the, the first parable is teaching you to evaluate yourself. But he doesn't ever tell us that we're then supposed to start identifying other people. And so he starts by telling this parable, the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares. And, and, um, and in this, I want to kind of, one more point before we go to the next point is if we go back and look at the first one, what's really important to see, both of these parables are teaching that God's word is the seed that has incredible power to change lives. That it's this tiny little seed that you can overlook, that you can, you know, you can stomp on, you can totally, but if you bring it into your heart, that it has the power of life. It will grow. It will, and if we bring Jesus Christ into our life, it will result in life-changing power. And anyone who has a true relationship with Christ will in time produce the fruit of a changed life. And what's challenging us is that if your life isn't being changed in any way, again, you have to ask yourself, do I have a true faith in Jesus? Is the soil of my heart right? Now, that being said, one of the things we also have to see is that while the, a true believer will always produce fruit, it's not always the same fruit, not always the same amount, not always in the same time. In fact, look at what we see in, this, in verse 23 of that, uh, of that parable. Look what he says at the end. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He and their deeds bear fruit. We all bear fruit, some in a hundredfold, and others sixtyfold, and another thirty. So in other words, we're all going to bear fruit, but not necessarily at the same amount not necessarily even in the same time, in the same way. All who truly embrace Christ will be changed by that faith. But again, God doesn't change us in the same time. He doesn't, he doesn't work on the exact same pattern of sin in your life as he does mine. There may be some things that I, God freed me from there and I'm struggling with this. And meanwhile, you know, you've been freed from the thing that I struggle with. And so there may be some who may be believers they're not showing the fruit that we expect. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're not believers. They just might need more time to mature. So on the one hand, we see this combination there. On the one hand, the Bible says in numerous places, if you are a true believer, you will bear fruit. We should look at the fruit. On the other hand, it says, look at your own fruit and don't necessarily go to someone else. We shouldn't become, take it too far where we're fruit inspectors. So let's dig into that. That's kind of an introduction. But as we dig into this parable, and we, I'm going to pull out a couple ideas directly from this parable. Let me read it again to kind of set it up. 
starting in verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, and then the weeds appeared also. And the servant of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then why do you want, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. Now I wanna draw a couple ideas, couple principles here. The first is one that's important, but really easy to miss. And, uh, and part of it is easy to miss is because of translations. It's, well, you've gotta see right off the bat, we can see these are not normal weeds. These are not natural weeds that just happen by accident. These are weeds that are planted by the enemy, but there's a teaching about the kind of weed as well. It's a kind of, in this case, there's a weed and the wheat and these weeds actually look alike. And this is the part that's hard to miss because, because most of our English translations don't make it that clear. So what we read just here in the English Standard Version, it says that there were weeds. Some translations actually would use a different word because it's a unique word for the weeds there. So for example, the New American Standard or the King James translates not as wheat, weeds, but as tares. So the New King James translates it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. Now that helps, except for, how many of you know what a tare is? And so if we look at it and say, well, it's, it's a unique kind of weed, but if I don't know what a tare is, it actually makes it more confusing because now I don't even know what he's talking about, what category. And so for that reason, most English translations just use the word we all know, which is, which is a weed. Now, if you have an English Standard Version, which we use, I want you to look more closely. Some of us might need to put our glasses on. Look very closely at verse 25. When it says that he sowed the weeds with the wheat, there's a footnote there by the word weed. And, and let me show you a picture, because I took it here. The footnote is, it's probably Darnell, a wheat-like weed. So it's a specific word that it's actually a kind of weed. Now, what is Darnell? We don't know what that is either. Most of us don't. Darnell is a common name for a species of ryegrass, which was really common in the Mideast. And the key thing is you've got to realize is it very closely matches wheat in appearance for most of its growth. And it's hard to tell them apart until the wheat is in full bloom. And uh, so just to give you an idea, okay, this is, this is two that are mostly grown. This is the Darnell, this is the wheat. And, and you could barely tell them apart. Okay, if you go a little bit further and they're full grown, you could see the wheat starts to blossom even more. But even when they're full grown, they're still, they still look alike. Now, while Darnell looks like wheat, it's totally different. It not only doesn't produce food, it actually produces poisonous seeds. So here we have these weeds that are planted by the enemy that are planted to look exactly like the wheat. And what does that mean? If the wheat is the true followers of Jesus, then the weeds are people who are planted, are supposed to look like followers. They're counterfeits. They're people who look like it and claim, but aren't. And not only do they look like wheat, but, but we go back and we say they were planted by the enemy. And we were told there in verse 25, while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat. These are not normal weeds that just grow in the garden. These are weeds that are put there intentionally by the enemy of, of, the, of, the, of the farmer. 
and they're planted there for a purpose, to do some kind of harm. Now in this, we've got to look at this and say, if it's a strategy where Satan puts people in the church that are true believers to harm the wheat field in some way, what is that strategy? Why does he do that? We're going to come back to that question in a minute, but I want you to see it right here in this parable. Third of all, there's some, it's teaching us there is time between the planting, the fruit, and the harvest. See, in both parables, Jesus is talking about planting seeds. There's seeds that have great power that will grow, that will always involve change, but it doesn't happen all at once. No one goes out and plants a seed and, and harvests that same day. Or in fact, you, if you go out the same day, you're not gonna see any growth. You're not gonna see anything happening. And at first, you're gonna see little sprouts and it takes time for the, full, for the full crop to be able to grow. It doesn't happen at once. And so there is time between the planting and between the fruit and, and between the harvesting. And what does that mean? That means that in this whole gospel process, there may be times where God plants a seed. And especially early on, the wheat and the weeds look exactly alike. And we've got to be, understand that there may be time that we're growing in different ways. And, and the full fruit of a Christian walk may not be totally evident right away. And that leads to the fourth point, which you see here. The farmer, speaking of God, is incredibly patient. He knows it takes time. And so he's incredibly patient. You know, the, the workers, they want to gather up the weeds. They want to get it out. And what does he say? No, 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 less than gathering up the weeds, you root up some of the wheat along with them. And he says, okay, the concern is for the wheat. And I think there are two concerns. First of all, again, the wheat and the weeds, the Darnell, look alike. And he's saying, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna see something that looks like weed and you're gonna pull it out, but it might just be some weed that hasn't, some wheat that hasn't fully matured yet. It might be a good crop that you just need to give it more time. So don't do that because I don't want you to accidentally pull out good wheat. Not only that, but you have the wheat and the weeds are in the same field. The roots are mixed up. And if you start pulling that out, you might accidentally pull out the roots of some of the, the good wheat. And so he calls us to be patient. Now, what's that mean? Think about how patient God has been with you. I think I'm not the only one that could say, when I look at the course of my Christian life, there have been times that it's like, man, I've, I've messed up, I struggled. There have been sins that I've struggled with years, if not decades. And God has been so incredibly patient. God has been so gracious towards me. And I think that's true for you as well. Now, you might look at somebody else and you're so, they're struggling. They may not struggle with the same sin you do. But the fact is that they struggle with sin in the same way that you do. We all struggle with different things, but we're all struggling. And in our process, there isn't any of us that God just planted and like, boom, man, where we're there, we're mature. God has been gracious with us. He has been patient. I love what Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, what's known as the, the, a golden rule. He says this, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now, applied here, I think when we look at that, I want people to be patient with me. I want people to be gracious with me. I want them to be understanding in my own ongoing struggle that if I struggle that I can say, well, here's what happened and here's, and I, I, wanna, I want them to understand why I struggle. And what Jesus is saying is that same patience and grace and understanding that you want people to show you, show them as well. Because that's the patience of the far, far, farmer. That's the fa patience of our God towards us. Now, that's the parable, and we're gonna see that, that Jesus, in verses 30, 31 through 36, he gives two other short parables. We're gonna look at those next week. 
And then we come back in verse 36 and the disciples come to Jesus and they, after everybody's gone back, they come and they say, hey Jesus, remember that parable that you told a little while ago that went about the wheat and the weeds? Can you explain that to us? And so he explains it starting in verse 37. He answered, uh, the one who sows is the good, the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fire furnace. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now let me draw out four practical applications here. Uh, all of them are things that we've kind of seen the foundation laid for in the parable. The first one, as we've already kind of said, is that there will be counterfeit Christians in the church. There will be people who claim to be Christians who aren't true followers of Christ. And, and those weeds may look like wheat for a while, but the only difference is, is that instead of producing fruit, they're gonna produce poisonous seeds. We've gotta realize that Jesus not only knows that's gonna happen, but he allows it to happen. And so if there are times that we say, what's going on and why aren't people there and we need to, you know, the, the fact is the church is full of not only a fallen and perfect people, but it includes some people that may not even be true believers. Now, what we've seen in the parable is that these weeds are not just weeds that are there by natural causes. They were planted there by the enemy. So we asked the question before, let's come back to it. Why does Satan plant weeds amongst the wheat? He's teaching that the enemy plants these. He has a strategy in planting the weeds amongst the wheat. It's not just that it happens, but he's doing something to damage the wheat field. And so what is that strategy of planting you know, people that claim to be Christians who aren't amongst the true followers of Christ? Now there's a hint in the parable itself. And the hint is that if you look in verse 41, it says the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. And so the hint here is, here is that these are people that are there because they're actually causing sin, they're causing damage, they're, they're hurting the church. Satan puts them there. Now, in that, it doesn't go any deeper, and here's where we have to, the first rule of interpreting the Bible is when it doesn't give us a clear answer, you use scripture to interpret, interpret scripture. So let's go to other places, because there are many other places that talk about the same issue. And one of the things that the Bible repeatedly teaches is that Satan will plant non-believers in the church, people who are not true, you know, counterfeit Christians, to confuse the church with false teaching. You know, when we think of Satan's strategy of opposing the work of God, we often think of, you know, somebody that's openly hostile and somebody that is, you know, the Antichrist is the ultimate example, somebody who wants to kill Christians. And, and while we say in our culture now we have an increasing hostility towards God, towards the Bible, towards followers of Christ, we realize that's not Satan's only strategy. But actually, when you look in the Bible, there are many passages that talk about his strategy where it's not open hostility, but he attacks the church from within. Let me give you an example of where this is taught in 1 John chapter two. The apostle John teaches this. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. Okay, here's the Antichrist, the person that's against God, and he says there are people that are kind of like that, that are doing that work, but who are these people? Are they the secular media, or the people, the, the atheists? Look what he says, who are the people that Satan is using to destroy the church, to attack the church? 
They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So basically he's saying, these are people that are, these aren't the atheists, these are people who are the counterfeit Christians. The people that are doing the work of the enemy to try to attack the church aren't the ones that are straightforward attack, but they claim to be a part of us. They're, they're counterfeits. You can't even think of a counterfeit. When some of us, we hear about counterfeit bills. Anybody ever seen a counterfeit $3 bill? So well, why not? You know, why wouldn't, you know, you would know right away. Why? Because there are no $3 bills. And when you counterfeit, you don't counterfeit something that doesn't exist. You counterfeit what is real. And that's what you see with, with what Satan's attack is. It oftentimes he tries to get into the church and he takes the truth and he tries to distort it and pervert it so that you have false teachers that try to confuse. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. Or you see Paul warning the same thing in 2 Corinthians. He said, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, that's what Satan does and he uses people for that purpose. And so we need to realize that, that, you, know, that you have people, even in churches today, claiming to be churches and, and claiming to teach and, and teaching things that are, that are unbiblical. And, and so, for example, I mean, a really common one now is you have people that will say, well, you know, the church, we need to be accepting of everyone, of everyone's lifestyle. And we need to love everybody and we need grace, which is a little bit of truth and a lot of lie because it's ignoring, yes, God is a God of grace and truth. We never then talk about truth, we never talk about sin. And ultimately, we all have a sin problem that we need to recognize and confess to know forgiveness before Christ. So you have counterfeits that are trying to confuse. You also have counterfeits that are trying to discourage and, and because they're people that are living with unbiblical values, unbiblical lifestyles. In 1 Corinthians chapter five, Paul is confronting the Corinthian church and he's, he's dealing with the fact that there were people, there was a guy in a church, it wasn't that he was struggling with sin, that he messed up, this was a guy that wasn't struggling, he just has accepted sin and said, hey, everybody's gotta accept me, this is my lifestyle, and it was in total uh, disagreement with God's word. And some were even boasting that, look at how gracious we are, look at what Paul says to them. He says, your boasting is not good. You know, that's not good, that's not grace. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little yeast, if you let it sit there, it's gonna leaven the whole lump of dough, it's gonna spread. And he's saying, okay, here's what's happening. If we, if we have people that will come in and they will try to live a compromised lifestyle, why? Because they wanna, they wanna be yeast that spreads sin into the church. And we've gotta be careful with that. Not only that, but then that sin becomes a bad testimony to the community. So Paul talked about this in Romans. He said, as it's written, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. I talk to people all the time where I've got this incredible hurdle to get over because they've been wounded. They've seen so many bad examples of people who claim to be Christians. I went to a church once, I can't, you know, I've never, you know, know, the church turned me off towards Christ. So many people even, it's, you know, people that, coming out of a Catholic background, a Catholic priest and the sexual abuse and other churches, and, which are terrible. And what we've got to look at at that is to say, people struggle with that. I want to ask, is it possible that some of these people might be counterfeit Christians? I'm not saying that everyone is, but there are so many people that have failed in so many ways that maybe Satan's put them there and to live this compromised lifestyle because he knew it would do damage to the name of Christ. No, we need to keep our focus on Jesus. We need to keep his focus on his word. We need to remember that that's what should define us more than anything else. So we look at that and you say, well, that's the first principle. We're gonna go through these last few much more quickly. 
you know, we not only look at this and we say, um, okay, you know, there's, there's gonna be counterfeit Christians, but, but as we look at that, then it, should we take it upon ourselves to try to identify them? Well, no. Again, the whole idea, as Jesus is saying in the first parable, look at your own soil, look at your own fruit. But we shouldn't necessarily then take it upon ourselves to try to dis- discern the fruit of other people. Why? Because we lack God's insight. We lack his, his discernment. We, we lack the ability to see. I might look at somebody and say, you know, I can see their heart. You know, I don't see fruit there, and I don't, I don't see their heart. I don't see, you know. And what we need to realize, I can't see their heart. God sees the heart. And I've got to have the humility to be able to say, yes, I'm looking at truth, but as I inter- inter- interact with people, I need to have the patience to say, I don't have the ability to, uh, to be able to discern somebody's heart. I can't take it upon myself to, uh, to judge people. What has God called me to do? See, God has called me to err on the side of grace. And as I interact with people, I might see some, I don't see any fruit. Well, maybe they're just immature. Maybe they're yet growing. They might be a stock week that's growing. You know, I've, I've got to be gracious and I can't take it upon myself to try to clear it out. I've got to realize that there are times that I say, I may not be a Christian, I don't know, but it's not mine to judge. And so ultimately then it leads to the third point. That means we need to leave God's work to God. Because again, you have people that, the workers that were told in the parable, they wanted to clean out the weeds. They wanted to decide and what does Jesus say? He says, no, and gather, well, no, because in gathering the weeds, you may root out the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, I will tell my angels, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned and gather the wheat in my barn. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't look at fruit at all, because again, the Bible talks about that idea. Nor does it mean that we just, you know, if anybody accepts everything, oh yeah, we'll affirm whatever belief. I love a, a great passage that really, has this idea of God's truth and grace. It talks about this, what is God's role? James chapter four. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now there's two things there that are God's role, lawgiver and judge. Now what that means is that God is the only one that's able to determine what is right, what is sin, what is you know, the way to Christ. And if I have someone that interacts, I'm a Christian, but here's what I believe, and you have to accept my beliefs, you have to accept my lifestyle. If it disagrees with God's word, they have taken God's role upon themselves, and I'm not gonna let them do that. See, I've gotta speak truth and grace, and being that truth of grace means that I'm not gonna let someone else take from God that which God has reserved for himself. God is the source of truth. It's not your opinion or my opinion or cultural values, so we stand on God's truth, but as we stand on God's truth, there's only one judge. And so there might be people that I don't understand or I disagree, but I've got to be patient. And all the, at the end of the day, it's up to God to determine truth and error. It's for them to determine who's really a believer and who's not. And, and whether that person is, is a young sprout of wheat and it needs to grow, or whether they're really a weed, God in his time will determine that. And ultimately, that's the last point. Truth and time go hand in hand. That we look at that, there might be times that you sit there and you say, you know, that person claims to be a Christian, they wronged me in this way. God, why don't you expose them? I need to expose them. And, and God, you know, here's what happens. God will reveal his truth and justice in his time. And if I do not believe that, I will take it upon myself to do his job. Now, why do I tear people down? Why do I judge people? Why do I ex- try to expose people if I do that? Why? Because I don't trust that God will. 
And so ultimately, I've taken it upon myself to say, I've got to set things right. I love what it says in Romans chapter 12, 19. It says, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Basically, God's saying, I will take care of it. Truth and time will go hand in hand. And you might look at that and you say, but you've got to have truth and we've got to know. And, and God, be, help me to be faithful. You call me to search out my own heart. You call me to be a person of truth. And at the same time, God, I want to step back and I want to say, God, you establish your truth in other people's lives. I'm not going to compromise for who I am. I want to be a person that says, I pray that my soil is becoming, is become fertile, that, that, that you're producing much fruit. But at the same point, I want to be a place of grace because we're all struggling. You know, none of us are here. None of us are, are mature all the way. We're all growing and, and we've got to be a place that we allow each other to grow, where we allow, where we speak truth, where we challenge. We're going to see in Matthew 16 and 18, it even talks about church discipline and speaking truth. And there's a role of that of church leadership that at times we do that. But as we interact with people, we interact with grace. Why? Because I want to trust and hope that each person, I, this seed that I'm planting, that, that this is wheat, and if it looks like wheat, well, what can I do to, to kind of to, 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 tend, to tend it because I want to see it bear fruit? Because God is changing lives. The question, first of all, is search your own heart. Are, are you bearing that fruit? Or is there something that God is revealing about your own soil that he wants to get in there and he wants to, he, he can only do the weeding. Are you going to let him do it? And then as we interact with each other, we want to be a place of truth and grace. In the example of Jesus, we celebrate what God is doing. We celebrate the fruit that is there. And then we try to do all that we can to encourage and nurture the continued growth of fruit because God is at work in people's lives in ways that are far bigger than we can ever think or imagine. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.